All right, I'm going to get into the fivefold ministry tonight. Last week I talked about apostles. Talk about different things tonight. We'll go ahead and read this. It says, Ephesians 4.11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up as each person does, as each part does its work, as each person does its work. So the fivefold ministry, I'm going to get into that, is there for the equipping of the saints. Last week, again, I talked about the apostolic ministry. I'll get into a little bit of that. But I want you guys to understand that it's not about, you know, circles of whether it be denominations or ministries or different um, groups of people, so to speak, uh, to that vote people into office. That type of thing is, there's nothing, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that when you're dealing with the fivefold ministry, you're dealing with something that's established by God. It's established straight from heaven, and it's the authority of heaven that is released into geographic areas. And that's what we're dealing with tonight. So in dealing with the fivefold ministry, I'm going to talk about not only that, but I'm going to get into some important aspects. The evangelists are those that are concerned at the beginning of the ministry of the kingdom. These are people that are bringing those into the body of Christ. The evangelists like Brother Anthony, wherever he's at, the evangelists are the soul winners. It's been an annoyance of mine how people go from place to place. They, they travel, so they call themselves an evangelist. But if you're not winning souls, you're not an evangelist. You're really not. They may be prophetic, they may be a teacher, but unless they're winning the loss, they're not an evangelist. An evangelist, the earmark of an evangelist is a soul winner. And somebody that has the heart of an evangelist will be burning for souls. That's what an evangelist is. They have a heart and a passion to see the law saved. And an evangelist, there's usually a very powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power through evangelists, and it's there because of the soul winning, to bring people to Christ. The evangelist will also, please hear this, they will be used to help impart a burden for the lost into the body of Christ, and training the body of Christ how to be soul winners themselves. So that's what it's talking about in here when it says that we're, the fivefold ministry is there for the equipping of the saints. The evangelists will be used to help equip the saints in the area of soul winning. Because everybody is called to win souls around them. If you're on your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you're at, we've all got to be a light around us. So what it means to be salt and what it means to be light, salt in the earth has a lot to do with prayer warriors because you change the atmosphere around you. You change the atmosphere around your region. But light, Jesus said we're to be salt and light. Light has to do with the gospel. It has to do with witnessing, sharing your faith. But that's an evangelist. A true evangelist is all about the soul winning and has a burden for the lost. The pastor, 
The pastor are those that God equips to shepherd the flock. A true pastor will feed the sheep. A true pastor protects the sheep from wolves. Let me tell you that a lot of people may, a lot think a lot of people here like that, but there's some people out there that are the wolves that don't like that. Amen? But the shepherd's job is to help protect the flock. And that means whenever the wolves come in, they do something about it and not be passive sissies about it. And there are some pastors out there, I love them, but they let things go on that shouldn't be going on. And because of that, the whole body suffers. A true pastor will be somebody that deals with stuff. Are you hearing me? And in the future, in the days to come, I'm going to need y'all support with that as well. And I know you always have been supportive. But whenever the wolves come in, let me tell you what wolves are. Wolves are not demonic spirits. Wolves are people that are used by demonic spirits. There's a difference. Did you hear that? So a true pastor will feed the sheep. A true pastor protects the sheep from wolves. And a pastor oversees counseling and church life and discipleship. In the, in the function of the local church. So what are God's teachers? God's teachers are those that are God's instructors and they love God's word. And a true teacher will be somebody that has a lot of depth. They have a hunger for the word of God. They love God's word and they love to go deep. And not everybody around them always shares that passion. But they love to go really deep in the word. Okay, line upon line, and they're real detailed. But the teaching ministry is so important and so powerful. Let me tell you, just because somebody teaches like Sunday school or something like that, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a five-fold ministry teacher. Case in point, like a Derek Prince, somebody like that. Derek Prince was an amazing teacher, but a true teacher will not only teach under the anointing, but they will be such a powerful move of the Holy Spirit to confirm their teaching. And a true teacher not only loves God's Word, but they love their love for the Word of God gets into people that they're teaching. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? The, the evangelist imparts a burden for the lost in people. Not just telling them how to win souls, but really there's a passion for souls that's imparted in them. A teacher will teach them the Word of God, but also they'll put in them a love for the Word of God. So it's deeper than just instruction. But we need all five offices. We've got to have it. Because there's a lot of churches and ministries out there that that they have maybe pastor teachers, but they're missing the apostolic prophetic. Or they'll have the evangelist pastor, but they're missing other aspects. You know, and you need all of it because all of it is what brings the body of Christ to maturity. Let me get into this. I think that most of you know what an evangelist is and a pastor and a teacher for the most part. Okay, so I really want to get into to the prophetic and the apostolic. The prophetic ministry. A true prophet will have a mantle to carry revelation and a prophetic word of the Lord. A true prophet of God is somebody that can stand there and God will give them revelation. And when they release that revelation, there is such power in it. They get it in the form of maybe dreams, visions. They'll hear the Lord speak to them. The Lord will show them things. And then they have the supernatural ability to convey that. They may be predicting the, tr- the, the future, but they also have a way of their words seem to cut through. I'm going to tell you something about a prophetic word. 
A prophetic word has the ability, I don't understand how, but it has the ability that when people are up against impossible odds, like Moses at the Red Sea, a prophetic word released from the Lord has the ability to part the waters and bring a breakthrough. I don't understand it, but it does. Prophetic words not only are released out into the atmosphere, but let me go on that a little bit. Prophetic words, when they're released from the Lord into the atmosphere, it's one thing to get a word, and you're sitting here with it. But when you open your mouth and release it into the atmosphere, it will bring tremendous breakthrough. A lot of times the prophetic word will not start happening until somebody speaks it. It's like it's held up. It's got to be released. Does that make sense? Once you release it out of your mouth and it goes forward, then all of a sudden things start happening. I've even seen where prophetic words were spoken in times past and somebody heard it later and it started happening in their life. Let me tell you something else about prophetic words. Just like blessings and other, other aspects of, of the word being spoken, prophetic words can be on people. That's why a lot of times you'll see somebody, you guys remember Benny Baker that was here. A lot of times you'll see somebody, they'll release a prophetic word, and then after they speak it over you or a congregation, but especially an individual, they will then lay hands on the person and pray for them, and they'll be hit by the power of God. What's happening is, is that word that was spoken is being imparted to them. Now listen, that's important because there's times in people's lives, and this makes me laugh, this saying in the South, but there's a saying that goes that you can be snatched through the knothole. Okay? And what that means is... What that means is is that you're in impossible situations and there's no way across, but God snatches you through the knothole. Prophetic words on somebody's life can cause them to literally be snatched through the knothole when nobody else would, but they miraculously, supernaturally are brought through something. And what happens is, is that whenever prophets will release that over people, those words seem to settle over their lives like a mantle and throughout the rest of their life, the demonic will see that and try to oppose that word, but also the angelic will be empowered to make sure that word happens. But that word seems to be on them, and because of the word on them, they will see it fulfilled. That is, unless they get into unbelief and they keep speaking that it won't happen, then it may not. But as long as they're moving forward, that word is there to empower and make sure it comes to pass. The prophet has some kind of a special gifting to receive revelation. Any, anybody can prophesy. Anybody can get some kind of revelation and speak that out. What prophecy is, is inspired speech. It's not always predicting the future. You may predict the future. I've had things I've spoken, and many of you have had things you've spoken, and, and then it came to pass. That's kind of predicting the future, so to speak. But a prophetic word is a lot more than that. A, prophetic, a true prophet of God, a true prophet of God, will correct, will release words that correct, and release words that expose sin. Not just always being positive all the time. A true prophet of God Yes, the prophetic will encourage and build up, but it also sometimes will rebuke and correct. But a true prophet of God, just like anybody can prophesy that, that God moves upon and speaks through them, 
But a true prophet of God has the ability to obtain a higher level of revelation. It's not, it's not just in the realm of where all the body of Christ, if you have giftings, you can do this. You can give a message in tongues, you can interpret that. Or somebody that has the gift of prophecy can get a prophetic word. Somebody that has the words of knowledge can, can function to give a word of knowledge. Anybody that has those giftings in the entire body can do that. But a true prophet of God seems to operate at a really high level of all those revelation gifts. They see things that nobody else sees. And they bring that revelation. A true prophet will discern the times and seasons of the Lord. Because sometimes God is shifting and doing a new thing. A true prophet of God will expose the devil. You see, there's some out there that, that claim to be prophets of God that aren't. But there's other people that, that they obviously are prophets. But I, I have a problem sometimes because some people will be prophetic, but you don't see a lot of accuracy. The Bible says to test that. And I'm telling you, if somebody says they're a true prophet of God and they're only right half the time, there's something wrong somewhere. Are you hearing me? I don't just stare at me. That's an amen. If they're wrong half the time, there's something wrong. Amen? A true prophet of God, there needs to be some accuracy and there needs to be some accountability there. Because there's people that, that claim to be fivefold ministry offices that travel the nation and the world that are only right sometimes. And that's not good. And somebody over them in authority position needs to confront that. Because it's hurting the way people view prophets overall. Okay? There needs to be some accountability. But a true prophet of God is very accurate, it's precise. It is, it's spoken out, and when it's spoken, it starts happening. Sometimes some prophetic words will happen immediately, and sometimes it will take many, many years. So if God gives you a word, don't get discouraged if you don't see it in six months. Don't get discouraged if you don't see it in two to three years. Just stay in faith because it will come to pass if it's from the Lord. A true prophet of God, as I said, will expose the devil's tactics. Many times the enemy is strategizing against a church, and a true prophet of God will come in and expose what the devil's trying to do. But we need to honor the prophetic ministry. Okay, Just well, balancing this out in the sermon really well, trying to balance it out. We need to honor the prophetic ministry and receive it as such. The Bible says if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive the prophet's reward. That means that if you don't, you won't. Some people's attitude causes them that everybody around them will be mightily touched by God except them. It's because of their attitude problem. And I don't want to be one of those that I miss God all the time. Okay, But somebody that's humble and they receive a prophet as a prophet, they're going to receive that prophet's reward. And we need to honor true prophetic ministries. Alright, the apostles. Apostles are really, the Bible actually indicates they're special messengers. They're those that are God's master builders. I preached on it last week, so I'm not going to dwell on this. But they build people spiritually by fathering them and imparting their spiritual DNA. True apostles are spiritual fathers. That is a big part of their ministry. Because literally... 
they are imparting the spiritual DNA that they have with God to their spiritual children who will walk in it and carry it. Hopefully, more so than they did because when Elijah passed his mantle to Elisha, it increased. So you hope that your spiritual children will go farther. And the reason many times they can go farther is because of what took an apostle 20 years to learn they can teach their spiritual children in one year. And so it causes things, the momentum to be faster. True, spirit, uh, true apostles are not only spiritual fathers, but they build a dwelling place for God's presence. That's a very important part. They pioneer their church planters and ministry builders. They have a mantle to take land and establish the kingdom. They have a mantle and commissioning to go against the prevailing princes and powers in a region that God sends them to. Sometimes when you get around apostolic and prophetic ministries, the one thing that you'll notice the most is breakthrough. Where things have been stubborn and resistant, you get around true apostles and prophets and there's breakthrough. You guys have been to conferences, you know what I'm talking about. You go to conferences, many times a lot of the speakers are apostles and prophets that they have in. And you go there and things were one way when you went... And it seems like there's such a breakthrough. And you come out of it and you can tell in your life that something has shifted and it's different. True apostles and prophets carry breakthrough. Now as a local church, we're doing a church plant. As God builds this thing, we've got to have all offices at work. There needs to be the teachers. There needs to be the evangelists. There needs to be the apostles and the prophets. We need all the offices here because there's something about that equipping and empowering the saints to build everybody up. And I'll tell you something else. The anointing that is within people. One of the reasons why I lay hands a lot with you guys and God mightily touches people is because we need the anointing within us. Here's what the anointing will cause. The anointing will actually take you to a place of strength. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says that the anointing breaks the yoke. But I want you to picture a yoke around somebody's neck. Okay, it's there, it's, it's clasped around them and it's there on their shoulders. And the NIV, it's interesting that their translation says the anointing will destroy the yoke because you've grown so fat. It's like, what in the world, where did they get that, you know? But they're seeing something there because here's what happens. The anointing causes people to, to increase in strength, which breaks off the yoke. The, the example that I use a lot of times is funny, but it's like the Incredible Hulk. You're going to hulk, hulk up out of it? All right, break out. The anointing takes you to a place of strength. The anointing also causes you to be led into truth. Revelation that you previously did not have. Not only will you break out of old things that have held you back, but also the anointing will lead you into truth. That's why John said that. First John, he said that the anointing that's within you abides and it will teach you all things. Also, the anointing causes people to spiritually mature. I remember one time a guy told me when I was about 19 years old, God had powerfully touched my life and he told me he was a, he was a prophet of the Lord. And he said, the anointing that's on you is mature, but you're not mature yet, but the anointing will mature you. 
The anointing takes people to a place of spiritual maturity. We need the anointing. What truly marks true apostles and prophets is there will be a strong anointing. So I want us as a ministry as we're growing, as as we're seeing new things, I want us to, to begin to really be open, which I know you guys are, really being open and honoring to the fivefold ministry. Because this is something that's established by God. It's something that's established from heaven. Alright, and this is what I want to move into, the main thing. Many people are building their ministries in different ways, with varying motives of the heart. But the question always is, what will matter in eternity? Many things that are highly esteemed here will be despised in heaven. Many things that are despised and lowly here will be of great value in heaven. So the question remains, how does Christ view our lives and our ministries? That's what's important. Because people can hate you, but if the Lord says that He's pleased with you, that's all that matters. People may not understand you, but if you're doing what God's called you to do, that's all that matters. So what is important to the Lord? Well, concerning God's house, talking about within the four walls, what God is wanting to do in local congregations. This is what's important to the Lord. Jesus said that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. People have have made God's house a house of entertainment. They've made it a house of merchandise. They've made it a house of fellowship. They've made it a house of many things. But Jesus put preeminence on the fact that it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And not just a house of prayer, but a house of prayer for all nations. What all nations literally means is all ethnic groups. And so that indicates that unity among God's people is of the utmost importance to Jesus. So number one, a house of prayer, but also of unity. A house of unity. Unity is of utmost importance to the Lord. When Jesus prayed in John 17, He said, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. Now that's, that's close unity. That they may be one as the Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son, that's a lot of unity there. Are you hearing me? Jesus said that they may be one as we are one. There's supposed to be a deep level of unity. And Satan knows that one can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. He knows that when people come together in unity, that there's nothing that can stop them. He knows that. So instead of trying to get in front of people that are in unity and trying to come against them with some kind of collision, he doesn't do that. He's smart enough to know that what he'll do is, is he'll simply just put divisive people in their group to tear up all the unity, to turn everybody against everybody, that now everybody's fighting and fussing against each other. They didn't even have, the enemy didn't even have to fire a shot. Now, now Satan has won that battle, and that church is now rendered ineffective. That's why it's so important for pastors to keep out the wolves and not put up with any funny business. Because Satan knows that a kingdom divided can't stand. So God's house is a house of prayer. Number two, it's unified. A house of unity for all nations. Number three, 
it's of utmost importance that God's house is a house of His presence. The whole point of the tabernacle or the temple was to be a dwelling place for God's glory. That's the whole point. It wasn't ever meant to be there for decoration. It wasn't supposed to be there to be just some kind of social club. The reason God built the tabernacle through Moses was to house His glory. The reason God used Solomon to build the temple was to house His glory. And Satan is afraid of the glory and fights the glory and doesn't want the glory of God to be among his people. Where the glory of God is, and see a lot of people don't even know what the glory is. Let me see. The glory is God's manifest presence that a lot of people have never even encountered. Where God's manifest presence is his weighty glory. There's a protection in that. There's healing and health in that. There's prosperity in that. Just like the life of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom was, even though he was a Hittite, he was a Gentile, when the ark was at his place, the glory of God was there at his house, his whole family began to prosper. When the children of Israel would go to battle, they would send the ark in front. Because they knew when the glory of God went in front of them, they knew they'd win. And the story about the Philistines whenever they stole the ark. I mean, you can't mess with God's glory. They started getting tumors really bad. They took the ark in there with their demon god Dagon that they worship, and they put the ark in there with. And next thing you know, Dagon is falling on his face, and his hands are broke off, his heads broke off. I mean, you don't mess with the glory. But the main thing is to be a house of prayer, unity, and hosting God's presence. We need His presence. Do whatever it takes to get God's presence. Number four, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and His gifts are sent to the church to edify the body. 1 Corinthians 14.12 Listen, the body of Christ, one of the main important aspects of the church within the four walls is that the gifts of the Spirit are at work and the Holy Spirit is moving. You know, I had the, the opportunity to go to Houston and see Steve Long minister from the Toronto Revival. And honestly, I'd never been around him. And it was so powerful. I loved it. And the sermon that he preached, he was talking about being filled and filled and filled and filled over and over and over. And he was showing how Jesus blew on the disciples after he raised from the dead. Remember that? John, he said, received the Holy Spirit, he blew on them. I believe that was their born-again experience myself. But his point was that after that, they had already received the Holy Spirit. So why after that was the book of Acts, chapter 2, Pentecost, where the Spirit of God breathed on them afresh? Well, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then he was saying, after that, you read about Peter and John raising up the crippled man and speaking at the Sanhedrin, and it says that they were filled with the Spirit again. And then you see them in Acts chapter 4 when they were praying in one place and the place shook and they were filled with the Spirit again. And you keep seeing over and over and over and over the infilling of the Spirit filled over and over. And Paul told the Ephesian church, he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And Steve Long's whole sermon was that it's so important that we keep being filled, keep being filled, keep being filled over and over and over. And that's true. We need it. That's why the church needs to be a place where there's a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
and being continually filled with the Spirit. And that's why it's so important that people keep pressing in. People say, how many times should I get prayer? Every time you can. You know? The more that you're getting in impartation, the more the Holy Spirit is filling you, the stronger you're going to be spiritually. See, people don't realize it, but they accidentally sometimes disconnect from the move of God. One of the main things that I would look for when I was going to a church is I would look for the glory of God and the move of the Holy Spirit being in that church. Because you can hear good teaching anywhere. There's a lot of good teaching out there. You can read books. You can listen to sermons out there. They're everywhere. You can go on the internet. You can hear all kinds of awesome sermons. We're not, we're not like lacking for sermons. We're not lacking for revelation. we we got plenty of that. But what we need is not only good teaching, but we need the move of God. And you can't get that everywhere. The next thing that's of utmost importance within the four walls is rhema being preached. And let me explain that there's two Greek words for word, W-O-R-D. One of them is logos, the other is rhema. Logos is what God has already spoken. That's in the Bible. He already spoke it, it's written down, you can read it. What rhema is, what is God speaking now? What is God saying to you, March 23rd, 2013, right now, what is God saying to you? I believe what He's speaking to you is this sermon because I prayed about it and God spoke to me this for you tonight. That's the point. It's so important that we don't, you know, some, I think some people, they just sit around and go, well, this would be good to talk about. And it's just kind of a random thing. Okay, let's do that tonight. That's not rhema. That's just you just randomly picking something to talk about. Rhema is that you pray and you hear from God and then you speak what God is speaking now. It's so important within the four walls that people are hearing the rhema word of God. There's too many just stories being told. There's too many things where people are just preaching out of their own head. They, they preach what they think people want to hear. They're just saying stuff. I want to know what is God actually saying right now. When Jesus reinstated Peter, he told him to feed his sheep. How many knows the sheep need living waters of the Spirit of God from a minister with a fresh anointing? The sheep need fresh, a fresh, true word from heaven now. Let me read that again. The sheep need the living waters of the Spirit of God flowing from a minister with a fresh anointing. And the sheep need a fresh, true word of God. That's the rhema. That's what is God saying now? Now when you get outside the four walls, you know, we come in here to be filled with the Spirit, to hear the Word of God, to receive from the Lord, to grow spiritually. That's wonderful. It needs to be a house of prayer, house of unity, house of God's presence. But once we get out of here, what is the most important things on the Lord's heart? Number one, souls. Jesus did not die for buildings. Jesus did not die for a lot of things out. Jesus died for souls. Okay? Jesus said when he came, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. So it is a reward for Christ's suffering when people are saved. And those that save souls, the Bible said, are wise. And it says in Daniel 12, 3, that you will shine like the sun. Let me read that again. Jesus said He came to seek and save the lost. 
It's a reward for Christ's suffering when people are saved. And those that save souls, Proverbs 11.30 says that they are wise. And Daniel 12.3 says they will shine like the sun. That's why when we get outside the four walls, a number one priority is soul winning. And I thank God so much for bringing you know, Brother Anthony to us to be a part of this ministry. We honor him as an evangelist and a soul winner. He's literally winning souls all over the world. But we're so thankful for the outreaches that we're able to do here. Another thing that's of utmost importance beyond the four walls is compassion for the hurting. When Jesus saw the multitudes that they were in need, He had compassion on them. You know, I see that so much with my wife. Many times, we, you know, as we just spend time together and stuff, there's been times that we're parked somewhere or something, you'll see somebody that's homeless, they're lost. You know, and many times Sandy's told me, you know, just her compassion, her heart for those people. Me too. But we need to have a heart for hurting people. That's Jesus' heart. To save the lost and to minister to the hurting. Then number three... Ministry to the poor. You know, when it came time for the gospel to move to the, from the Jewish people alone to now expanding out to the Gentiles, God looked favorably, favorably upon a man by the name of Cornelius who was a Roman centurion, a Gentile. The angel of the Lord was sent to Cornelius. Those of you that's been a part of the 40 days, you've heard me talk about this already. But... Cornelius was just this guy that he was a Gentile. I mean, he did not—he was not a part of Israel, but he prayed to God. He was a God-fearing man. He prayed to God, and he gave large sums of money to the poor. And when God said, I'm going to start expanding this out of just being to Jewish people, he gave Peter a vision. Peter saw that net coming down and opening up had all those unclean animals. And God told him, kill and eat. And Peter said, surely not I. And the Lord said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. I said that right. Don't call unclean what I call clean. And Peter was really shaken with this vision. At the same time he's getting this vision, this angel's appearing to Cornelius. And he says to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms to the poor have gone up to God as a memorial offering. Now you send for Peter. God was already dealing with Peter. So he sent men. While they're gone to get Peter, Cornelius, you know, gets on his iPhone and he starts like telling, texting all of his family and friends, y'all need to come to my house soon, Peter's coming. So all of them start coming over. And when Peter gets there, all of his family and friends are there. And Peter gets up to preach the word of the Lord. And before he was even done with the gospel, the power of God fell on the people they started shaking, they started falling, they started speaking in tongues, they were crying, they were laughing. It was just like on the day of Pentecost. And the Jewish people that were with Peter looked on in amazement and they could not believe that God had poured out His Spirit on the Gentiles just like He did them. And Peter had to defend himself to the Jewish people. And he said, listen, he said, I had this vision and God told me to not call unclean what He's called clean. And God has poured out His Spirit on the Gentiles. Who am I to oppose God? And he defended it. But anyway, when God wanted to move in a new way, he found a man of prayer and he found a man that had a heart for the poor. And that was the person that opened the door for the gospel to the Gentiles. So
So within the four walls, we need this unity. We need God's presence. We need to be a house of prayer. Beyond the four walls, we need to be reaching out to the lost and the hurting. And if you have a hard time really having compassion, they're praying about it. Say, Lord, break my heart for the things that breaks your heart. Give me a heart for the lost. Give me a heart for the hurting. Help me love those that you love and help me to have your heart for them. And as you pray that way, God will break you. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself weeping over people and you'll, you'll have compassion for them. And this is the final thing. I'm going to tell you something. I was with this missionary one time. In my opinion, these type of people are those that are my spiritual heroes. They're those that are going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He was a missionary in Mexico that you've probably never heard of. You know, but his whole life was sold out to Jesus. You know, I mean, he, he didn't win billions of people. He wasn't famous. He's not on TBN. But he's famous in heaven. He's famous with Jesus. But anyway, he, he totally gave his life to the gospel. And him and his wife, he would tell me about, you know, now they, they have a place where they would meet. But he said this. He said, you know, he said, some of the greatest times with my wife was when all we had was in a backpack. That's all we own. And we were going from place to place by faith. He said, those were actually some of my greatest times. He said, yeah, we believe God. We prayed. Now we got this building here. He said, but man, you know, he said, I find that I'm constantly having to fix a light bulb that's gone out. Fix a toilet that's not flushing right. There's something over there. He said, my life, when it was just me and my wife and my backpack, was so simple. And he was telling me, about this, this great move of God. He had waves of revival that would come through and they would see a harvest of souls. One of the interesting things that was in his ministry, he said, he said, I don't know why, and I was with Pastor Jeff, so you can ask him about this guy. He said, I don't know why, but he said God decided to deposit his presence in this room over here. And I kind of thought he was joking. He wasn't joking. He, he said that he was serious. There was, there was a strong presence of God in this room. And he said that one time there was this girl that had come down you know, on a missionary trip and she was real rebellious. She was real difficult. She was just a thorn in the side of her parents. And, and he was walking along and he was talking with her and other people and he had this idea. He's like, I wonder what will happen if I put this girl in that room. <laughs> so he says, hey honey, come here. I want, I want you to see this. And so he sticks her in the room. It wasn't long until she was crying. It broke something in her. And uh, see, this is the story of the miraculous. And if I told you guys' name, you have no idea who he is. You know, He's had this awesome life of miracles and seeing the power of God and just amazing things. But one of the things he told me was, it was just him and I talking. He said, you know, he said, What's one of the main things that's important to God is motives of your heart. What's the reason you're doing things? He said, that's a big deal to God. And it is. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be without reward. There's going to be people that literally have done so many things, but they're going to find themselves standing in a pile of ashes on Judgment Day. Because Paul said, everything that we do will be judged by fire. If it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. Only things that are done with pure motives of the heart will count on Judgment Day. So what is the motives of the heart that we need to have? Why are we doing what we're doing? Number one is to keep the focus on Jesus and not let it get off that. 
Some people start good, but they finish bad. I would rather start bad and finish good. But you know, you've got to keep the focus on the Lord. Some people, they get their focus off. And all of a sudden it becomes about money or something. And every sermon you hear seems to somehow revolve around that. They can make every scripture in the Bible about it. Their focus gets off of that onto other things, onto a building project. It gets onto their ministry. It gets onto something else. And that's all the focus. The focus needs to remain on Jesus. It needs to remain on becoming like Him and leading people to Him. Every ser- I hope that all of the sermons, even when I'm doing stuff on spiritual warfare and deliverance, it should go back to somehow glorifying Christ and about what He did on the cross. He paid for your deliverance. All the sermons in every series I've done on spiritual uh, maturity, it all needs to go back to Him. So number one, keep the focus on Him. Because the Bible says that we are transformed into Christ's image by looking at Him, beholding Him, keeping your focus on Him. So in other words, as your spiritual gaze remains on the Lord, you're being changed into His image. You become what you're focused on. Lot pitched his tent outside of Sodom, facing Sodom. Next thing you know, he's living in Sodom. Then next thing you know, his family gets sexually perverted. What you're beholding, what you're looking at, that's what you progressively start becoming like. Number two, living for His glory alone. Let me read to you John 7.18. Jesus said, The one who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there's nothing false in him. Meaning, if we live to glorify the Lord, there's nothing false within us. But if we're living to get people's attention on us, then we're deceitful at best. See, Gideon had a great victory. I mean, the story would be hilarious, you know, if we could see it today. Hundreds of thousands of our men, a couple guys tooting their horns, okay? And God gives them this amazing victory. But after Gideon saw this incredible victory, he made the mistake of letting people create an ephod and worship the ephod in his image and about him. And it became a snare to his family. We've always got to deter the glory to Christ. If God heals somebody when you pray for them, it was God that healed them. If you think you can heal somebody, then, you know, let's just start throwing things at you and see what you got, okay? It's not you. It's not really you. Even if you have the gift of healing, it is Jesus healing them through you. Give Him the glory that He deserves. It's another thing I've always appreciated about Brother Anthony. He's always like, give the glory to the Lord. Give the glory to the Lord. Quit looking at me. I love Benny Hinn's ministry. People that are clueless, man, so clueless, they're always saying, well, Benny healed somebody. Benny's never healed anybody, even on his best day, and he'll tell you that. But every time people are healed, it's always about Jesus. Jesus healed him. And one of the things about Benny's ministry I like when I've been there with him is he's always preaching Jesus, and he said, if I can get everybody's eyes on Jesus and off me, if I can get their eyes on Jesus, I know that they'll be healed. And he's always trying to get their eyes on Jesus as their Savior, their healer, their deliverer. And when they get their eyes on the Lord, that's when the miracles start breaking out. Well, Carlos Anacondia, there was a place that they weren't seeing very many miracles. And he was frustrated because he saw so many everywhere they went. And as they were praying about it, the Holy Spirit told his wife, it's because too many people here are looking at you. 
And so Carlos said, said that. He said, quit looking at me. I can't heal you if I want to. You know? And when people get their eyes on the Lord, then the miracles start happening. So we've got to defer all the glory to the Lord. He is the Lord of the harvest. You know, you and I can preach until we're blue in the face. We can preach to so many people. But the Bible says that some people sow, some people plant, other people water. But God is the God of the increase. It's God that brings the increase. So whenever the increase comes, we've got to give glory to God and we've got to give Him the honor. The same thing with healing, the same things with deliverance. We can stand in authority and rebuke the enemy and we can see demons come out of people. I've seen it many times. But it's ultimately the power of Jesus that is doing it, not you. If you don't believe that, read Acts chapter 19 about the seven sons of Sceva. They got the beat down and ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Okay? Another thing is we must do everything in love and pure humility and the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people carry about themselves a false humility. We've got to have true love from the Lord. So what is biblical love? Does it mean that you smother people? You're all hugging all over everybody? No, no. That's not, that's not Jesus' love. What Jesus' love is sacrificial love. That's what it is. It's willing to lay down your life for other people. It's that you're not selfish anymore. It's not about you. It's about others. You're pouring yourself out for others. That's Jesus' love. The second thing is pure, true humility. That everything we do is in humility and the fruit of the Spirit is evident. And the last thing is, ministry of any kind is about investing in people. Now I want you to really take hold of this. Like I said before, Jesus did not die for buildings. He didn't die for your agenda. He did not die for your kingdom. He died for people. And so the kingdom of God is about investing in people. Too many out there are, are all about the machine that they've created. I've heard this expression a lot with the different people that I know. There's these ministries that become a machine. And it's a well-oiled machine. I mean, it's run uh, the way you'd run a business. The finances are run that way. Everything's run like a business. And it becomes like some kind of a spiritual... You come in like a drive-through. You receive what you need. You go on and it's just a machine that's operating. But somewhere along the lines, they've lost the investment in people. It's not about the machine. It's about the people. It's not about maintaining the machine. It's about investing in the people. And as you invest in the people, then the people will in turn operate in the power of God. They will invest in people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus started with 12, but the 12 invested in people, then they invested in people, then they invested in people. But it was about people. I really believe in my heart that if somebody like the Apostle Paul walked among us today and saw a lot of what is called Christianity today, he would not understand it because it's not the Christianity that he knew. It's not the Christianity that he laid down his life ultimately and was beheaded for. It's not the Christianity that he sacrificed in. It's not the Christianity that he saw around him. We need to go back to the book of Acts where true biblical Christianity was a real life of faith and it was a life of sacrifice. So who will be greatest in the kingdom? 
Jesus told us that there will be those that are greatest and those that are least in the kingdom. So who's going to be people that are greatest in the kingdom? Remember Jesus said, don't store up treasures here where moth and, and rust destroy, but lay up your treasures in heaven. What's going to be causing people to get the greatest treasures in heaven? I don't know about you, but it makes me think. You know, what is it that's going to... I believe that it's going to be being truly faithful with everything you've been entrusted with. And Jesus said this in Luke 9, 48, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you is the greatest. That's interesting. See, a lot of people that are least... That everybody thinks, well, they're not much or whatever. That's the way they view them. They're actually the greatest in the kingdom. For the greatest among you is your servant. So we know that servanthood is what makes people great in the kingdom. That's why Jesus washed people's feet. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. So how are we treating other people? This is kind of deep, but the first will be last, the last will be first. Some of the greatest here will be the least there, and some of the least here will be the greatest there. It all depends on are we being faithful with everything we've been entrusted with to really pour ourselves out. Is everything we're doing, is our motives pure? Because again, if you're doing all the right things, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, it's not going to matter in eternity. God may still use it because He loves people, but it's not going to matter in eternity. This is a real foundational message for this ministry as we're entering a new season. Because this 40 days has broke through something. We've got to keep the momentum. I thank God for how He's been pouring out His Spirit. We've been seeing some amazing things. I'm going to tell you, there's so much more to come. But I want to keep the focus on the right things and not get our focus off. The focus of this ministry should be that we're a house of prayer, a house of unity, a house of God's presence where the Holy Spirit is moving and the word of the Lord is being preached. I mean the rhema word. We should have a heart beyond the four walls. It's not just about us. It's about the lost and hurting. We need to have a heart to go outside the four walls and see people saved in compassion for the hurting. And our motives have got to be pure. That we're keeping everybody's focus on Jesus, becoming like Jesus, glorifying Jesus. That the motives of the heart are not tainted and impure. It's not about us. It's about Him. So Lord, we ask you to come visit this place. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your glory.